So if you have a Bible, if you'll open up your Bible to 1 Corinthians chapter 13, we're calling this series, What's Wrong with Church? And what we're acknowledging as we look at the letter to Corinth is again and again, Paul is challenging them uh, to turn from division and pride and selfishness and to turn to Jesus. And what he's going to challenge them with and challenging us with is as we turn to Jesus, then we begin to actually exhibit the character of Jesus. We begin to look more like Jesus. We begin to actually care for other people and actually love other people and forgive other people the way that Jesus loves and forgives us. This week, we're going to be in 1 Corinthians 13, finishing up the chapter. So we'll be at the end of the chapter, verses 8 through 12. If you don't have a Bible, we've got black Bibles under the chairs. It'll be 959 in those black Bibles, page 959, 1 Corinthians 13. I want to thank Joey Cologne for doing a fantastic job starting off the chapter last week. Yeah, give him a hand. He did a great job with that. I got to see the recording. Thank you. And uh, I was able to hang out with my grandbaby and my kids in Memphis, so that was a, that was a blessing for me um, and had a good time with that. And the baby's two and uh, just getting bigger and bigger. It's amazing. But anyway, I can't, I'm just going to talk for hours about that. Forget that. It was a fun time. Thanks, Joey, for preaching on 1 Corinthians 13. Uh, but this week, we're going to finish it up. And what I'm trying to do with the ending of 1 Corinthians 13 is show you how Paul is pivoting from the previous section and to the forward section, right? So this is like a transition chapter. There's several of these in 1 Corinthians, chapter 9, chapter 13, chapter 15, where they're like pivot points. He's looking back on the problems they're having. He's looking forward to other issues they need to work through. And he's giving them like an anchor point in the middle. So chapter 13 is this anchor point, like love is the point. You know, you got all these weird ideas about your gifts and your talents and how you're going to show off in front of other people. Paul's like, no, just love each other. Okay. So you're going to call them back to love. So the title for the sermon this week is grow up into love, grow up into love. So Paul is challenging the Corinthians and Paul is challenging us to mature, to grow up into love. Let me give you a little background. I've, I've raised three children. They're, they're all adults now. Um, and one of the things you learn as a parent when you have babies is that babies don't just come into the world knowing how to love, right? It's a growing process. One of the things that I enjoy doing with our babies is, is putting them to bed at night. I, I'm a snuggly person, so I love to rock them and hold them and, you know, and put them down and help them calm down and get ready to go to sleep. And I love to sing, right? So I, I would sing to them, I would rock them and and it was a lot of fun for me because of the way I'm personally wired. I feel loved when someone is hugging me. So I enjoyed hugging my children, right? And showing them love in that way. But one of the things you learn quickly about your children is they're all different, right? So I had two kids that absolutely loved it and we bonded big time, right? It was great. They loved snuggling with me. I loved holding them. It was a sweet, sweet time. I had one kid that was like, just leave me alone. I want to go to bed, right? <laughs> And I remember in that moment recognizing, oh yeah, it's, it's not about me, right? This is not about me feeling loved. My job as the father is to love my child, not to be like, hey, you need to love me more. You need to, you need to hug me more, right? Like this is about me. No, it's not, it's not about me. Love is about the other. So this is one of those heartbreaks we see a lot in our culture. Sometimes people have children so that someone will love them. And it it often takes 15 or 20 years for that to actually work, right? Like you gotta, you gotta teach them to love. It's not a thing that just humans do naturally. We have to be taught by other humans, but ultimately we're taught by Jesus, by God loving us in Christ. And so that's what we're gonna see in the text. And that's the challenge for us to grow up into love, to mature in this process that we 
consider the needs of others more than our own deeds, that we consider the good of others. We help others to achieve what they need to achieve to follow Jesus. That's what love is. It's something we do. It's not just something we feel. And we've got to say out loud, our culture has this completely backwards. All of our movies, all of our songs preach something completely different, that love is just feelings. Now, I want to be clear. Feelings often follow when we obediently love people especially when we obediently love people by the power of the Holy Spirit. Feelings often follow. But love ultimately in the Bible is an action, something we choose to do because God first loved us, 1 John four nineteen. Okay, we're gonna read the text. It's chapter 13, verses eight through 13, okay? 1 Corinthians 13, starting in verse eight, love never ends. As for prophecies, they will pass away. As for tongues, they will cease. As for knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part and we prophesy in part, but when the perfect comes, the partial will pass away. When I was a child, I spoke like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I gave up childish ways. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I have been fully known. So now faith, hope, and love abide, these three, but the greatest of these is love. We believe that God speaks to us through his word, speaks with the authority and relevance of Jesus himself, but we also believe we need his Holy Spirit to make this a supernatural experience, that we would really listen that our hearts would soak up what he has to say. So let me pray that his spirit would meet us in this time. God, we pray that your spirit would come and allow us to be listeners and learners, that we would pay attention to your words. We would see the, the glories of the good news in this text this morning. Help us to hear you. We pray, Father, that you would be glorified as you've sent your son to take our sin, to give us resurrection life. And we pray that you would send your spirit, that we would know those realities in a special and clear way this morning. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. So as I said, this is a a pivot point. This text is kind of going to look back a little bit and look forward a little bit. So so what I'm going to do for the outline is, uh, first point of the outline is I'm going to look back a little bit, chapter 12, middle part of the second point, we're going to just look at our main text today. And then third point, we're going to look ahead a little bit to chapter 14 to show how these things connect. So the first point is love is more important than your gifts. We're going to see that from kind of part of what Joey talked about last week and part of what I talked about the week before. Love is more important than your gifts. Second point is love is the mark of maturity. It's the growing up thing. And that's in our primary text today at the end of chapter 13. Love is a mark of maturity. And then finally, last point will be love drives clear communication. And I'm kind of prepping us for next week. We're going to have a couple of hard weeks in chapter 14. First Corinthians has been full of hard texts, so we're just going to continue to enjoy that and trust that's a gift from God. Uh, so we've got a couple more weeks with hard stuff, but the essential point is love drives clear communication. So first point, love is more important than your gifts. Love is more important than your gifts. We see this as we look back to where we were a couple of weeks ago in chapter 12. Uh, We see this a little bit in chapter 13. Um, Chapter 12, verse 21 says it this way, the eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. He was pointing out to the Corinthians that they had this issue of making their gift to be something more important than other people's gifts, right? 
So like, you're like, I'm a teacher, and teachers are more important than people with gifts of administration. Paul was like, no, we need gifts of administration. We need teachers. We need people with gifts of mercy and compassion. We need all of the gifts. You can't say that your gift is more important than someone else's gift. He goes on in verse 24. He says, God has so composed the body, giving greater honor to the part that lacked it, that there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. So again, the idea is that we would care for one another, not that we would say, oh, my, my gifts are more important, or we should all do this. Everybody should have this gift. We should all be a, an eye or a finger or an elbow in the body of Christ. He's like, no, we need all the parts, and all those parts then unite under the headship of Jesus. And so then we have this united love where we're rowing then in the same direction. And that love, that care for one another is more important than our actual gifts. And I said this before a couple of weeks ago, there are times when I'm called to use my gift with reckless abandon, full speed, for God's glory, for the joy of all peoples. There are other times when because of love, I'm called on to help someone else use their gift and to put myself underneath them and to help them do what God has called them to do. That's how the body operates because love and the mission of what Jesus has called us to is more important than our individual little roles in the body of Christ. So on the one hand, we're affirmed like your gifts matter. You're uniquely made in the image of God. All your uniquenesses, all your particular skills and backgrounds, that's all valuable to God. But on the other hand, it's secondary to God himself and to loving one another. So we have to prioritize these things. And this is what Paul keeps coming back to again and again. Last week, Joey hit on this, 13, chapter 13, verse one. If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, so supernaturally, the ability to speak in other languages, but I have not love, then I'm a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. Just making noise, just making noise. Verse two, if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith, man, this one hits me, right? As a pastor, like, I want to I know everything, right? Like, I want to be able to teach you anything. I want you to be able to ask me a question. I'm like, I know that, right? I want to have all this knowledge and know all these mysteries. But Paul says, if, if you had all that, had faith to remove mountains, but have not love, you're nothing, Love is what matters. Love's more important than the gifts. The gifts are secondary. If your gifts are not being used to love God and love other people, you're doing it wrong. That's what Paul's saying. You guys are focused on yourselves. He's saying, y'all are, y'all are wanting to show your own powers, your own impressiveness. And when we do that, we're not pointing people to Jesus. He's like, use your gift to point people to Jesus, to serve people, to love people, to help people. I think a helpful illustration of this is how plants often grow towards the sun. We have a live oak tree in our front yard that over the years has been growing and getting stronger, but it's growing more on the sunny side, right? Like it's like stretching out its arms towards the sun. I grabbed a picture here of a sunflower. Sunflowers often turn during the day and follow the sun. And so it's a picture, I think, of how we are to turn our hearts towards Jesus in, in hunger, in need of him, right? He feeds us. His love is what forgives us and adopts us and makes us his child. It's what takes away our sin. It's what gives us resurrection life. And so our hearts are turned towards him and we follow him and we follow him. And what the scripture kind of paints for us is that as our hearts are more and more turned towards Jesus, 
we start to look like Jesus. We start to do Jesus-y things. We start to actually care for other people the way that Jesus cared for us, and that's how transformation takes place. So love is more important than your gifts, and that love starts with love of Jesus. But there's something before that. The love of Jesus starts with the love that Jesus first had for us. So the way it's said in 1 John 4 is this. This is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and made, it says, propitiation for our sins. That's a happy, joyful sacrifice. So that because of the sacrifice of Jesus, God the Father is pleased with you. If you've trusted in Jesus, God looks on you with a smile. He knows all your sin. He knows all my sin. But Jesus has taken that sin away. And God delights in you. That's, that's, that's love. That's what, that's what John is saying in 1 John chapter 4. It's a great chapter. It goes over love and how we should love one another. You guys should love one another. I should love you. You should love me. We should be loving each other, right? We got to back that up. We should love each other because we love Jesus. And we got to back that up. We love Jesus because he first loved us, it says in 1 John 419. We've shared many times, my wife and I, when we got married, we were very aware that we'd come from a lot of brokenness and we'd come from a lot of divorce and a lot of difficulty. And so when we were getting married, we were like, we love Jesus, we love each other, but we know we don't really know what we're doing, right? <laughs> so we engraved in our wedding rings, 1 John 419, we love because Jesus first loved us, because God first loved us. Without that foundation, we're not going to be able to love each other well. And so that's what I want to encourage you to do is to to look at the love of Jesus, to focus on him. So next steps are love people, right? What are steps you could take to love others, to serve others, but do it because of the love that Jesus initiated in your own life. Start with him. Start with what he has done for you. Um, We have a lot of different ways to get more involved here at this church. One of the I think kind of scary but beautiful things that's happening in our culture right now uh, is we're in a time in culture where where people generally don't come to church just because it's a thing people do, right? Generally, more and more, you're here because you want to follow Jesus or you're here because you want to get to know who Jesus really is. Like you either have real spiritual questions or you have a real hunger for him. And that's a little scary for pastors because we're used to the church is being padded with like another hundred people that just show up because it's a cool thing to do, right? And so there's been this big decline in church attendance over the last couple of years in our culture. But there's something really beautiful about everybody here being really serious about Jesus. You're either seriously committed to following him or you're seriously curious about who he is and what he's done and you wanna learn more. I'm excited about that. And I wanna encourage you to take next steps and not to just sit and listen but to take next steps to get involved. We talk about these next steps all the time of, of serving on a team, taking practical steps of beginning to learn how to love other people. You're doing it because Jesus loved you, but you're, you're taking the next steps you can take, whatever that may be. Next steps here at the church, next steps in your home. What does that look like? To love and serve other people in your home. Next steps in your neighborhood. Do you see your home as just a place for you to veg out and relax? Or do you see your home as a place for you to love others? Is it a place for you to be loved or a place for you to love? Do you see the workplace as a place for you to just get money, right? Or is it a place for you to love and serve others? Your neighborhood, same thing. 
Is it just a refuge? Is it just a retreat? Or has, has God placed you there and loved you and equipped you to be able to then love and serve others? And I want to say this as well. I know churches, we often gather a lot of people with sensitive consciences. So I just want to clarify to you, you can't love everybody all the time perfectly, okay? Pray and ask that God would, would show you a next step. Like, what's it look like? Okay, I need to, man, I've got... I've got kids. I've got a spouse. Maybe I need to focus here. I've got to work on this. I've got to be more focused on, on loving them and serving them in a helpful way because of what Jesus has done for me. Or the next step may be at work. I've I got to be more faithful. It's not just about me using my gifts. It's about me loving the people around me. Say, Lord, focus my attention. Help me to grow and take next steps of, of showing that love is more important than my gifts. Second point is love is maturity. Love is maturity. So a good question for you and for me is, how do I define maturity? What is, what is maturity uh, in our minds? Is it you know, money? Is it a certain kind of relationship? Is it a certain kind of skill level at work? Or is maturity love? I think the Bible defines maturity as love. The Bible defines maturity growing up as love. Here are a couple of cross-references for you that you could look at later. I'm not going to spend a lot of time unpacking these, but uh, John 15 talks about love as obedience, like doing what Jesus says. John 15. Another one is Galatians 5, 22 through 23. We mentioned that before, the fruit of the Spirit. So what the Spirit works in our life is love and joy and peace and patience and kindness. So these character traits, these virtues, that's, that's growing up in the Spirit. And then finally, the one I already talked about before, 1 John chapter 4. So the little letter of 1 John towards the end of the Scriptures, the end of the Bible, 1 John 4. So let's look at our primary text again. Verse eight, love never ends. This could be translated as love never fails or love never ceases. It kind of continues, it goes on and on. But as for prophecies, they will pass away. And as for tongues, they will cease. And as for knowledge, it will pass away. So Paul in this context is, is saying that prophecies and tongues, which just means other languages, so speech about God and about Jesus that helps us to grow in our faith, teaches us stuff, these things will cease. Knowledge about Jesus, that will pass away, but love is going to keep going. And so what he's hitting on here is this idea, theologically, we'd call uh, progressive sanctification. So we are immediately saved and forgiven the moment we trust in Jesus, right? Talked about this earlier. If you have trusted in Jesus and what he's done for you on the cross, he delights in you. That is settled. It is finished. But you don't just like stop sinning completely, Right? If you do, I'd like to talk to you more and maybe we could put you in leadership or something. But generally, people don't just like stop all their sinning. We still struggle, right? We have ups and downs. We are growing and becoming more like Jesus, but it's often ups and downs. It's not just a straight shot and it's not immediate. We don't just perfectly obey and everything all the time, right? So there's this progress. And part of how God progresses us, sanctifies from the root of saint, right? Makes us holy, makes us like Jesus. Part of how God does that is he gives us each other to speak the truth and encourage one another, right? So we talk about joining a group. We talk about gathering and worship. We're doing these things to grow. We need to be reminded, right? Like we have that moment where we trust Jesus and we begin to follow him, but then we get discouraged. World's falling apart. Everything's crazy. We're sick. We're having issues. We need people to remind us, no, God is good. Jesus loves you. We need that encouragement. And that helps us to progressively be sanctified and trust Jesus more and follow Jesus more and to keep moving forward. And Paul's like, yeah, eventually that process, it's going to stop. When does it stop? Well, it stops when you die. And when you see God face to face, that's when you will be fully matured. So we're all on this maturing, growing process. 
but eventually we'll hit the finish line of seeing Jesus face to face. That's what he's talking about in this section. Seeing him face to face where everything's okay. He wipes away every tear. There's no more disease. There's no more addiction. There's no more pain. There's no more sin. We've made it. Theologians call that part glorification. We're, we're glorified. We're, we're like Jesus then in heaven when we see him face to face. So Paul continues and says, for we know in part, right? It's partial. We prophesy in part, it's partial. But when the perfect comes, the partial will pass away. There'll be no more childhood. There'll be no more growing because we've made it, right? We're there with him face to face. He gives another illustration here, verse 11. When I was a child, I spoke like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I gave up childish ways. Maturity. You're not the kid anymore that doesn't know how to love. You've, you've learned to love. So we're all in that process of learning. And he's giving us this vision that someday we're actually going to arrive. And that knowledge, here's the crazy thing in Christianity. Christianity says, because you're absolutely loved, you're not going to become lazy. You're actually going to love others. Because you know he's going to completely mature you, you don't give up on maturity and growing. You actually keep growing because that vision energizes us. Like, yeah, God is doing this. He's maturing us. He's growing us up. Verse 12, for now we see in a mirror dimly. That means things are fuzzy. We forget. We need encouragement. We struggle. We need the truth to be spoken over our hearts as we preach the gospel to ourselves and as we come and have friends preach the gospel to us. We, we see things dimly. But then it says face to face. We'll finally see him in all his glory. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I have been fully known. And again, that's the same kind of language that John uses in 1 John. Here's love. Love's not so much about me loving God. Love's really about God loving me. Then I'm eventually gonna see him face to face. Then I'm eventually gonna really fully know him, even as I'm already fully known by God. He completely knows you. And in Christ, he completely delights in you. He is pleased with you. So he casts this vision of maturity, of growing up, no longer speaking like a child, but speaking like an adult. Got to spend time with the grandbaby last week. She's starting to pronounce words that are more understandable, right? On her road, her maturity you know, journey, and it's cool. It's exciting to hear more understandable things. But you know, a lot of what she says... I don't understand. I have to look to my daughter and my daughter's like, oh, this is what she's trying to say. And she translates for me. There was a viral video that was going around. I got a picture here of a, of a dad and his baby. This picture is actually a commercial they did. So they just did an at-home video that was so exciting, viral video of these people sitting on a couch. It was so popular that, that now they've been hired to do commercials, I think for Denny's or something. Um, but it's this dad and his little toddler. And the first viral video was the dad and the toddler sitting on the couch and the dad would just chat with the toddler and the toddler would chat back with the dad. It was like they were just having this conversation back and forth. But the funny thing was, is the dad was speaking English, we could understand, and the child was speaking incoherent babble, right? That nobody could understand, but he was just saying it as if it made sense. You know how children often do. And it was just a funny illustration of this reality that any of us that have been around kids understand that, yeah, kids don't always communicate in a way that we can understand. And it's cute, right? And it's appropriate. But Paul's saying, have a vision, church of God, believers in Jesus, have a vision of growing up to the point where you really are matured, where you've got gifts and skills, and those gifts and skills are not for you to say, hey, look at me, look at all that I can do. No, 
The gifts and skills are so that you can love other people. You can be concerned about their welfare. You can help them mature. You can contribute in the body of Christ. We can all row in the same direction. Helping each other to continue to love and trust in Jesus even when the world is falling apart. Helping each other to obey Jesus and do what he says even when it doesn't immediately make sense to us, right? We all need a friend to remind us. Be like, yeah, Jesus is worth it. I know this point of obedience doesn't make sense to you right now, but Jesus proved himself to you. He died for you. So you can trust him. You can obey what he says because our culture is going to constantly be saying, no, don't obey him. It's going to kill you. Obey yourself. Obey your desires. Jesus says, no, I love you. You can trust me. You can do what I say. Jesus tells us he cares more for our joy even than we do. And we need to remind each other of that. And that's growing up in our faith. Um, the cool thing is to see your kids grow up then. You know, I was joking about my kids and raising them as children. They're adults now, and they love well because they know that Jesus has loved them first. And that is such an encouraging thing to see. And I've seen that in many of your lives as well, people that come in and you've got struggles and you've got addictions and you've got problems, and Jesus helps you to work through those, and you begin loving others. You begin the maturity process. You begin serving others, and I see that in your life, and I just want to commend that and thank you for that and say, keep going. Keep following Jesus. Keep maturing in him. I think in this text, we see where it starts. It starts with meditating on the glories of of being one with Christ, right? meditate on the wonders, the glories of Jesus's love for you. Verse 12, for now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I have been fully known. Start there. So see how Paul is putting this together with like, hey, you got to grow up, Corinthians. And then he says, hey, someday you're going to know Jesus perfectly. Someday you're going to be past this. Whatever valley you're in, we joke often when you've got young children, it's some people call it the valley of the diapers, right? We're all in different valleys. You may be in the valley of, of chronic illness or the valley of, of middle age, right? All my joints are not working properly anymore. There are these different valleys we go through, financial pressures, addiction, heartache, relational problems. As we go through those valleys, have the vision of, no, I'm I'm, I'm still being grown up in Jesus. He's not done with me yet. And someday I'm going to see him face to face, meditate on the wonders of his love for you. And then just start doing love. Start practicing love. Start serving others. Again, I said many of our music, uh, movies, you know, all the things that are broadcast at us all the time tell us that real love is just a feeling that happens to you, right? It's just a thing that overwhelms you. And love is something that just happens to you without your control. But the Bible says, no, love is a choice. And love is an action. Love is a thing you do. So I'd say as Christians, we look at the wonders of Jesus. We meditate on that. We're encouraged by that. But then there comes a day where you just got to start doing things, right? <laughs> start serving other people. Commit. I think we're in an anti-commitment age. Um, commit. Just say, you know what? I'm going to just sign up to commit. I'm going to commit to serve on this team, or I'm going to commit to be a part of this service organization, or I'm going to Commit to be more involved at the house or in the neighborhood. Commit yourself to serve. Start doing love. It's a practice, like a baby learning to walk, right? When babies are learning to walk, we're like, good job. That's how God feels about you and me. 
as we're learning to love. We're, we're taking steps. We're not always good at it, right? We fall down. He doesn't say, how dare you? He's like, come on, you can do it. Get up, let's go. We're growing in our abilities as we practice loving. Verse 11 says, when I was a child, I spoke like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I gave up childish ways. Pray and commit. Say, Jesus, okay, I hear this. I see that you're good. I know that you love me. I'm going to start loving other people. I'm going I'm to serve. I'm going to commit. I'm going to sign up. I'm going to get more involved. Now, final point, love drives clear communication. Love drives clear communication. As I said, the next couple of weeks are going to be some, some weird texts, some harder texts. It's going to talk about the gift of tongues, uh, which is just speaking in different languages and different traditions of Christians handle this in different ways. I think socially we tend to divide, uh, to divide up into kind of like people that are utterly terrified of these supernatural weird things and don't want to have anything to do with it. And then another side, we're like, this is it. This is the center of the Christian life. I think what Paul's going to teach in the text is there's kind of a middle way where he's like, yeah, that's a thing, but it's not to be preferred. Actually, clear communication is to be preferred. So that's where we're going. Pray for me. It's going to be very uncomfortable next couple of weeks. Um, But let me preach just this one principle right here because it comes out of the love chapter, right? The love chapter is saying, hey, have a vision for loving and serving and building others up. So uh, chapter 13, verse 13. So now faith, hope, and love abide, these three, but now the greatest of these is love. So love is the greatest. Love is the one we should remain committed to. And then he goes on into his explanation on prophecy and, and tongues and these strange things. As I said, we'll, we'll look at it more in detail next week, but it says, pursue love and earnestly desire the spiritual gifts. So this is in chapter 14, verse one. Pursue love and earnestly desire the spiritual gifts, especially that you may prophesy. Now, again, there's some controversy on this, but I'm just taking prophecy to mean speaking truth, all right, at its foundation. Pray that God would give you the gift of speaking truth to one another, clear communication of the Lord's will. Verse two, for one who speaks in a tongue, a foreign language, speaks not to men, but to God for no one understands him, but he utters mysteries in the spirit. So he's challenging the idea of what, again, you may have not seen this, but in some traditions where there's just a lot of prayer and speech in foreign languages or in languages that people don't understand, he's like, well, that, that might be something real happening between you and God. He's not saying it's fake. I think sometimes it, it can be fake, but here he's saying, no, that can, that can be real, but you're talking to God. And he says, but no one understands him. Verse three, on the other hand, the one who prophesies, again, in context, he's like, speaks truth in an understandable way, clear communication. The one who speaks truth in an understandable way speaks to people for their upbuilding and encouragement and consolation. He says, pray for that. Here's what I want you to do, church. I want more of you to be able to speak the truth in such a way that it builds others up, that it consoles them, that it encourages them. That's the goal. So not everybody has the gift of, of teaching necessarily, right? Not everybody has uh, the call to be a seminary professor or to be a preacher, but we all have the call to encourage one another with the truth. And that's done out of a spirit of love. That, that's where Paul is taking us. Love drives clear communication. So I grabbed a picture here of some men building, framing up a house, building something, because the word in Greek for upbuilding there in verse three of chapter 14 
is this word that at its root has house, right? It's like building a house, doing construction. How many of you ever worked construction, built things? You ever built something in your backyard? Some of you done that? Uh, so the, the Bible takes this word and uses it repeatedly in the New Testament in a metaphorical sense to say you should use your words in such a way that it builds people into a strong structure that can be a shelter for others. That's our goal. So one of the images of maturity in the Christian faith is often a tree that has roots going deep down into the waters of God's goodness and love, but it's also the secondary illustration of a house. It's like we're building a house. We're laying a foundation on the foundation of Jesus Christ. He's like, use your words to build people up. That's the goal. He's like, that works when it's clear communication. It doesn't work if nobody knows what you're saying. And that's the challenge that he's giving here, speaking clearly for the loving goal of building others up in the truth, helping people more clearly to see that Jesus is good and he's died for us and that Jesus can be trusted and obeyed. Those are really the two things. So I don't expect everybody in the church to become a Sunday school teacher. I don't expect everybody in the church to become a preacher, but I do expect everybody in the church to grow to a place where we can speak clearly to one another and say, Jesus can be trusted. He loves you. Jesus can be obeyed. Do what he says. That, that's the goal, that we'd be able to speak these kinds of things clearly to one another. Ephesians 4.29 is a great cross-reference for this. Um, this is one of the first verses I memorized. I became a Christian when I was a teenager, and so uh, often youth pastors give this verses to kids to help them to stop cussing. I don't know anybody memorized that, that one for that. I, I don't think it's really about cussing, right? Like Paul actually cusses a few times in the New Testament, so that's not like really the, the ultimate high mark of, of upbuilding with your language, but it's something to pay attention to. Like if you're cussing all the time, you might want to get a hold of that. Um, but here's the goal, Ephesians 4.29, let no corrupting talk, sometimes it's translated unwholesome, right? Let no filthy language, corrupting talk, unwholesome language come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up. It's the same word again that we saw in chapter 14, verse three, upbuilding, building up. Are you going to build others up with your language? Use only language that builds others up as fits the occasion, right? What's needed in the moment. Don't just say your memorized speech that you want to say, but what do people need to hear in that moment that's going to help them to trust Jesus and follow him, that it may give grace to those who hear. Ephesians 4.29, I'll read it again. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouth, but only such as is good for building up, as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. Here are the three places that we want to help you practice this skill, to start loving, and then maybe the feelings of love will follow later to start loving others with your words. Number one place to do that is on one of our serve teams, right? You can serve as a welcomer here at the church, welcoming people, loving people, helping them get in and out of the church. You can serve on the nursery team, helping them take care of our young children. You can serve with the elementary schools. We said that ministry keeps growing and growing. Those are three key areas where you can serve. You could email office at begrace.org. You could start the practice of using your words to build others up. It's a skill and we all need to grow up in that skill. Uh, the other thing that you could do is join a small group. Part of what we do in small groups is we just encourage one another. We say, this is what I'm struggling with. Uh, will you pray for me? And then we say, what are you struggling with? Let me pray for you. And hey, this is the scripture I'm memorizing, or this is the scripture we're studying together as a group right now. Let's see how we can trust Jesus more through this text and obey Jesus. And we practice that kind of discussion in our small groups. 
So we've got women's ministry, we've got Celebrate Recovery, we've got regular groups that meet at the church, regular groups that meet in people's homes. The third thing is you could start a group like that. Uh, You could grab someone else, a friend that you may work with, or someone that's in your neighborhood that's the same gender, and just say, hey, let's let's just pray for each other and, and memorize some scripture, or read a little text of scripture and encourage each other that Jesus can be trusted, and we can obey him. And these are ways that we can practice this clear communication that has as its goal love. Well, we'll, we'll wrap up there. Um, big idea is that we are challenged to grow up into love. And I just want to thank you for the ways I've seen that happen in our body. It's encouraging to see. So as I'm calling you into next steps and calling you to be more committed, again, I'm, I'm doing that because that's what we need. We all need more of Jesus. We, we want to all grow in our obedience to him. But I, I want to end by, by blessing you and saying, I, I see this happening in so many of your lives. Thank you for your faithfulness as spouses to learn to love each other sacrificially. Thank you for your faithfulness as parents in learning to love your children more than you care to be loved yourself. Thank you for your faithfulness as Sunday school teachers and, and servants and those who are cooking meals for people when they're hurting and those who are uh, holding hands and crying and praying with others. Thank you for serving each other in love. Thank you for growing up in love. I see this again and again across our body. It is a beautiful thing. And as Francis Schaeffer said, it is the mark of the Christian life that we would love one another. And I see that taking place in your life because you know the true love is not so much about how great and perfectly you love each other or even love God, but true love is found in God loving us first. And that's the promise that we rest on. God gave himself to us in Jesus. He loved us first, and that's how we can love one another then. Let me pray for us. God, thank you that you loved us in Christ. Thank you that you took our sin. Thank you that you give us resurrection life. Thank you that you are shaping us more and more to look like Jesus. It, It doesn't satisfy you to just forgive our sin and then leave us alone, but you continue to shape us and sanctify us and grow us up into your love. Help us, Lord, to continue to obey. Help us to glorify you, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.